Hi, and welcome to the API Rising podcast. I'm Van Tran. And I'm Kathy Butler. In this podcast, we explore career journeys where Asian culture and corporate America intersect. Today, we're going to talk about career building, how it's different from skill building, and the impact the two have on career trajectories. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, when we think about career journeys and leveling up, how do you think the average person thinks about career building? I know you've had the opportunity to mentor and coach a lot of people. What have you seen over your career mentoring people? It's, it's an interesting conversation because in many ways, careers and jobs are thought about in the short term in the what can I accomplish in this particular job, in this particular role, in this particular time frame. And there's a lot of value to that. It's looking at things opportunistically. It's looking at short-term goals. It is looking at um, the metrics that you can impact um, that are right in front of you. But I think it's also important to look at career journeys in the long-term. What are your longer-term goals? What do you hope to achieve? What do you want to be or the, the job that you want to have in the long term? Because it helps create some intentionality into the choices that you make. Um, and you can pick specific skills that you want to invest time in. You can pick specific people who can help get you there. So I don't think it's an and or or. It's definitely a both situation here in terms of thinking about um, skill building and also long-term career journey development. There's also another layer on top of that as well. Since we, we for sure talk about our own cultural experiences, what do you think that cultural layer is? I think it's all about expectations. And you and I talk a lot about cultural values. And in so many ways, coming from immigrant families, our families want us to choose a what they perceive as a more secure, predictable path. Like very stereotypically, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an accountant, be a teacher, be a nurse. What I find interesting in a lot of the suggestions is that they are servant roles, which is absolutely needed in our world. But I also think about it as the very understood roles in um, our cultures, where from a perspective of coming to a different country um, and finding familiarity in jobs and wanting that familiarity and that um, understanding for our kids, I think is a big part of our growing up. And certainly a lot of the conversations that I had with my parents, I, I went to school to be a teacher, but also at the same time moved to New York to be a music journalist, not quite part of the conversation. But I think that those values, I think, extend to than how our, our parents are thinking about us and wanting our security and wanting us to be successful in a way that they didn't have to um, or that we don't have to work too hard or have hard laboring jobs, um, a lot of jobs that our families also had, which I think also in your family, Van, you had a little bit of that um, in your background and in your history as well. Oh my gosh, I do remember a time <laughs> where... You know, that fear of having to do any sort of manual labor uh, was so present in a conversation that I had with my dad. I think it was like one of those days when I was a kid and I didn't want to go to school. 
And his reaction to, I don't want to go to school was so extreme. And it was so connected with this fear that I would have to do some sort of manual labor or end up having to struggle. I'm not going to share the exact words because it was fairly traumatic for me, (laughs) but I was just like, okay, I get it. I have to go to school. I have to, you know, reach some level of uh, achievement and and success and ideally have whatever job he was thinking of me. I think he he wanted me to be like an accountant or like a dentist. I'm like a dentist. Like what's, what's that? I don't know um, that you can just create interest in teeth, um, but I <laughs> I appreciate the predictability around that that job. Yeah, I mean it's all it's. I think you're right. I mean I can't I can't be in that mindset where I'm thinking about it as a passion. It would very much be like this is something that I can go to school for and make a lot of money and be comfortable and be satisfied um, and and set. I don't know about satisfied. Uh, considering the fact that I went to art school. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the predictability part of it is um, an important aspect of how we grow up um, having those career conversations with our families. I mean, I understand it. I'm a parent with a child who's about to go off to college. Um, But there's, there's an aspect of life being full of adventures too that I think is very interesting, but because it's unpredictable, it's hard to understand and know and feel confident that your children will be successful. And as parents, and I can appreciate my parents also thinking about this, is that you don't want your kids to struggle. You know, you don't you want your kids um, to not have an easy path in life. But choosing an unpredictable job or having a, a role or approaching school and post-college life without a specific role in mind, doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be unpredictable in a bad way. There is something I think quite magical about feeling like the world is your oyster and finding the things that you like to do and that you can be passionate about, but also at the same time, uh, thinking about the longer term. Um, And those two aren't actually exclusive by any stretch of the imagination. I'm trying to think of when I went into art, my mindset was, I'm going to do this for myself, and then I'll figure out how to make a living when I get out. <laughs> so it was very much like, I'm going to do this now, and I will get a job that ideally has some sort of connection, which would have been some sort of graphic design, web development thing, which is what I ended up doing. That leads me to the idea of like how I ended up approaching a career, and I really didn't think about it as a career. I thought about it as, um, here's what I like to do. What can I apply for that will leverage my skills, take me to an area that I will enjoy as well, in which I can make a living? So it was very opportunistic, and I ended up saying, well, if I learn to code and bring my design principles and thinking to what I was doing, I could have the best of both worlds. And it also opened a whole lot of other avenues to me because I ended up enjoying the coding part. I ended up enjoying the technology, which is so different than an art degree. And that took me into marketing, which is a lot of data. 
So I just approached my career as something that was one step at a time, where it's like, I really enjoyed doing this. I wanted to achieve, I wanted to perform well in my job. So similar to a lot of people who think about their careers, how do I get promoted? And once you get to that promotion, what are the other forks in the road that are open to you? And that's how I ended up with the career that I have, where I started out coding. Coding led to marketing and database marketing. Database marketing led to CRM. And then that moved me from technology and startup into the agency world. And I loved just being of service. So that whole mindset of wanting to help people and advise became consulting. So in leadership, I did not have that set path. Even 10 years ago, I didn't think I wanted to be an executive. I just wanted... (laughs) I just wanted to get to the next step and then figure out, do do I want to do the next step or what are the other avenues that were available to me just based on what I ended up enjoying because it was really exploring what I wanted to do, what I was successful in doing. People talk about either picking jobs or careers in which they're passionate about versus careers in jobs and roles that they're good at. And I have been trying to figure out the marriage of both in every single role that I've had, but it's much more short term. So you, though, have a pretty, pretty different path. You knew early on. What was that like? Yeah, it was, I mean, you you heard me say I, I moved to New York because I wanted to be a music journalist, but also because I'm Chinese, got a degree in education as well. And um, I did teach and I did work at Rolling Stone Magazine at the same time. And it was actually very revealing about the things that I didn't think I could do. Uh, One is be a teacher. I was 20 years old at the time and did not think I had enough life experience to teach other kids. And also the life of a music journalist is, is tough. I was working at Rolling Stone, as I mentioned, and had the opportunity to then shift gears because of some early digital experience to working with some other publications. But I knew early on that I wanted to be a CEO and I wanted to run a company. And I think that came and stemmed straight from my mother. She was a small businesswoman. Um, After she worked odd jobs when she immigrated to the US, she and my father opened up restaurants and she ran the business part. In addition to being a waitress, at our restaurants, but she was really an entrepreneur. She knew how to take advantage of um, growing the business. I mean, at one point we had four or five different restaurants, different concepts. She was just so smart about that, but also incredibly fierce about being a woman in business, which in the 80s for being a immigrant woman in the Monterey Park area, that was pretty amazing and definitely left an imprint on me. And I knew that is probably a different part of my personality, but just being in control of a situation was where I was going to be best. And I revealed that early on um, as at an agency job to a boss who was a mentor and a, and a trusted confidant of mine and said, hey, listen, I want to run a company at some point in my career. And I know I don't know a lot of things about running the business. Could you take me under your wing and help me figure this out? And he was transformative in my career in that way. He let me take different roles in the company. He specifically taught me how to run the business of the business and running the PL. 
and gave me lots of opportunities. And he was like an early sponsor in my career in that way. And I sought out the opportunities where I could expand my skill set, not in a vertically kind of way in terms of deep craft skills. I'm a generalist in many ways. Um, and I've spent a number of years working in marketing and working directly with clients so I could learn the business of their business as well. So I've been very intentional about choosing opportunities that added to my basket, if you will, of skill set to make me a well-rounded leader and a well-rounded business person. And then took the leap to take my first CEO role in 2017. And it was very, very difficult um, and very eye-opening in terms of the complexity of the decisions and things like that. But I've had a great coach. I have learned a lot of things along the way. But mostly I've been open to not only learning vertical skills, but horizontally um, to be, I think, a like I said, a well-rounded leader in that way. And the intentionality around that, I think, has helped a lot because I work with a lot of um, up-and-coming leaders who want to run a business. And I say, that's great. These are all of the things that will help you land that first opportunity. And it's mind-blowing for people thinking about all of the different facets of a business that you need to understand and then have some proof that you can excel at it is a very, very difficult challenge. And, you know, I'm no young chicken. It's taken me a long time to get here. But the intentionality around that has helped. I love that you had the foresight to ask for help and to ask for that sponsorship because in my own experience, not a lot of people ask for help. We're starting to see more of that as like ERGs and companies are starting to think about development, but it's quite different to have the idea of going and asking for a mentor, going and asking for a sponsor, which is absolutely critical in terms of getting to where you want to get to faster. But if I work hard, I'm going to continue to just progress and I'll get the, the promotion because I've hit my goals. But it's a slow process that way. It's really slow. And that's working against um, goals that are set for you versus goals that you're setting for yourself. Can you give a little bit of information and detail in terms of the mindset of career building. And I'll just say it, the myth of meritocracy in getting to leadership and executive roles. Yeah. I mean, it is it is a mindset for sure, but I would think about it as owning your career instead of relying on someone to own it for you. There are so many different ways to approach a longer-term vision of your career even though you might not know the end game of where you want to get to. But if you want to be chief strategy officer of your company one day, that's an ambition. But you don't, you don't get there just because you write great strategies. You get there because you have strong EQ skills, because you understand problem solving. You understand the business that you're in um, because you're going to have to manage people and budgets. You understand deep people skills as well. And when you just say, I want the next level in my career, that's great. But then you're relying on somebody else to actually carve that out for you, to see your value, to understand your contributions, and to have somebody else advocate for you in a room that you're not part of. And that's very, very difficult. And if you, 
if you say it in a different way, you're essentially leaving your future to somebody else. And as a mentor, I find that conversation very, very frustrating because the need to advocate for yourself and the need for you to ask for help or to say, this is what I want to do, can you help me get there, is a very different empowering place to start from. And having somebody else say to you, well, I think you can do this, is also a very different conversation. And I find is with the best intention on the part of a manager or your company owner, but at the same time, not a place of starting from taking control of your career. And you and I talk about career ownership a lot because we see that as part of the path to advancing API leadership in corporate America. And our hypothesis is that if we can improve promotions at every level by 10%, we could drastically see generational change in all the leadership roles um, in major companies. But we can only do that if our fellow API feel empowered and have the tool set to own their careers and have this conversation with the people who they believe can help them. Because otherwise, again, we sit in a seat where somebody else is making these decisions for us while we are trying to work hard and prove ourselves. And it's just a different nexus of control. That sounds weird to say, but if this is about you and your future, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to own it and to take control over it. Is there anything that you would advise for someone who doesn't necessarily know what their end goal is? And you've said this as well, like you don't necessarily have to be fixed on a particular idea. What about early career? Is 20 too early to be thinking about career ownership? Not at all. I think we approach phases in life where we don't know. And I once um, spoke with somebody who professionally advises people in their careers. And he said, do two, two to three things per quarter to test what might give you some emotion, what you might like, what you might not like. And do it for fun. Have conversations with people who have other roles, who do other things. Um, try a passion project. Try out a new hobby. Um, but, but be intentional about those things. I might like working in a, new, in a nonprofit, so I'm going to volunteer. I might like um, exploring... Um, uh, something else. I can't think of an example, but set out those three things. I always think in threes, it doesn't have to be three and see how it, how you feel about it. And if you're feeling excitement about it, that might be a place where you can do further exploration. It, you know, it, it doesn't have to be binary all or none in terms of I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket and this is what I'm going to do forever. My career wasn't like that. I did operations for a while. I did resource management for a while. None of those brought me like extraordinary amounts of joy, but I learned it because I knew that it, it helped me achieve my own goal and I expanded my career skills in that way. But I also spent a lot of time on a nonprofit and that brings me an endless amount of joy because I can apply my skills in a different environment. So 
I think there's always lots of other things to do to help you find those answers. But the best thing that you can do is be very specific about why you're trying something out and to be reflective about what it is that you like or don't like about it. Because working in a nonprofit and volunteering time is, as an example, what I love about applying my skills in a different way. Would I want to work full time in a nonprofit? Probably not because it's like a whole different kind of a business to be part of. But for me, I can do parts of it that I love while still, you know, applying the skills that I have. So I don't think there's any fear in trying and there's no risk because you're not making any long-term commitment to it. But the benefit is huge of just trying a couple of things and seeing what kind of emotional reaction you could have. So if you, Van, at 20 years old, uh, had that opportunity, what would you say to that? I would say, absolutely, that makes sense to try a couple of things. In fact, it made me think about some things that I did that is in alignment with what you're describing. Early on, I had an account management role and I had really enjoyed seeing how the strategists were providing advice and they had a lot of influence upstream. And what I wanted to do was be able to get upstream. Like I don't want to be the person at the tail end of this with very little control, yet having a lot of opinions about how things should be done. So I wanted to get to that strategy role in order to to have that influence upstream and have a little bit more control. And then it also changed the experience as well because there's quite a bit of pressure uh, when you're downstream, when everybody's deadlines have already been missed and then you're the final person that has to make up for all of that missed time. (laughs) And I didn't want to be that person. Funny enough, at some point I did have an operations role and department and that is where you are very painfully downstream making the magic and vision come to life and it's a it's a hard place but yes that makes absolute sense where it's very strategic in terms of it's almost like a test and learn um, like curating a bunch of experiences that you want to have and looking to see whether you enjoyed it, whether you didn't enjoy it, and then finding more of the things that you do enjoy. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it, it being a test and learn um, on the things that you like and things that you don't like. And the more you do it, the more data you're going to have about what brings you joy, what you're good at, what definitely you don't want to do, which is an equally important list of things to help you narrow in on maybe some spaces to continue to explore. Um, And then eventually you would have a list of the things that you could look at and say, well, all of these things add up in a way that could maybe mean this and then start like a different part of your journey where you can be more intentional about uh, intentional about the things that you want to keep doing and very specific about the things that you don't want to do. I think it's, it's always a conversation when people say, hey, I have this opportunity. I don't really love it, but it has three quarters of the things that I want to do. Well, in that quarter of things that you don't want to do, yeah, certain roles, everybody's role, there's stuff that you don't want to do about it, but what can you get out of it in a way to either prove that you 100% don't want to do these things or flip it in a way where, okay, if I have to do these things, this is the scale I'm going to gain out of it. 
And to put it in a positive, forward-moving perspective is always helpful. And you just, you know, keep that on the list of like, yes, this is what I'm going to get out of it, but I'm never going to do these things again or whatever they may be. If we were to summarize a couple of takeaways for today for our audience, what are the couple of takeaways and what's your call to action for folks? First and foremost, it is to think that careers are made up of two component parts. One is skill building, deepening your craft and the area of expertise that you've invested in. And also two, to think longer term about continuing to extend those craft skills into a broader perspective for your long-term career and to continue to always understand and take experiments in a test and learn approach to what brings you joy and equally importantly, the things you definitely don't want to do. I think that the call to action is one, is to dream big and to certainly value the input from your families and the cultural values that you grew up with, but to really believe that the world is your oyster, no matter where you are in your career, because there's always an amazing next step that maybe you're not considering. That seems scary, but is definitely attainable if you add the two components of a career together in terms of skills and longer term career thinking. And then three, which I think is the most important part, is to not rely on somebody else to give you those opportunities. Ask for help because you know that there are certain things that you want to do or have certain opportunities, and there's nothing to lose by asking. And if on the other side of that conversation or a series of conversations, it is no, I don't think so, you know exactly where you stand and you can pivot and define new plans from there. There's nothing wrong with that approach. In fact, it is something to adopt and adapt depending on your situation. But the bottom line is it's always important to take control and to own and to always know where you stand. Thank you so much. And thank you for everyone who's been listening to this podcast. That is a wrap for today. Stay tuned for our next podcast. And if you want more API Rising, you can find us at www.apirising.com or find us on Instagram at API Rising. 